Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, that's where we're going to be today. I want to talk to you about living hopeful. Living hopeful is what I want to talk to you about today, and uh, that is something that I am aspiring to do, and so I'm going to preach this message to me. I hope that you get something out of it, uh, but this is a message for me. I, I am really wanting to be a more joyful, a more hopeful, a more peaceful person. I would love to smile more and stress less. Am I the only person in the room that sometimes struggles with that? Because life happens, you get smacked around, and sometimes when uh, difficult things happen in my life, I get down, I get anxious, I get stressed, I get a little bit irritable, and I would rather not be that way. And so this is what I recognize about myself, is I've been reflecting on this uh, this week. Uh, there are some, some things in me that are kind of messed up uh, that, that give me a propensity when bad things happen to get stressed and irritable and anxious. And so there's some things in me that the Lord's going to have to do. I also have to acknowledge that there are some things in the world that help me out on that process of being stressed and anxious and irritable and all the things. So one of the things that, that we've got to struggle with in our world is fake news. Okay, And this is, I want to define this. Uh, here's a picture of a weatherman. Maybe you remember this story. Uh, this guy uh, was on scene. Uh, you know these weathermen, there's a hurricane that's about to blow through, and they'll come on scene and do like a live broadcast as the hurricane is about to, to make sure. So this is one of those events. This guy's doing a live broadcast, and the wind is blowing him out of the shot, and he is fighting with everything in him to stay in the screen. And it looks like it's just the worst storm that's ever, the world has ever seen. But then, Right in the middle of this man's live broadcast, you see these two teenage boys, and they're just taking a stroll through the park. It is just, they're just totally chilling. You see them there in the background, not, not at all affected by the wind. And so at that moment, you realize that this weather guy is really, really uh, exaggerating what's going on in his circumstances. Now, uh, this, is, this is what I'm becoming more and more aware of. Uh, the enemy is really good at taking a real event and turning it into fake news, okay? And so this is what I mean by that. There's real tragedies and there's real trials that we all encounter in this world, but then the enemy will get in your ear and he will have you convinced that this is the end of the world. He'll have you convinced that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. He'll have you convinced that there's no hope and really you deserve exactly what's happening to you. God has abandoned you and the best thing you can do is go and crawl in a hole and die. And so I think, I know that I have this challenge, and I would say most of you, if you're honest, you've been there too. But this is what I know. That's not God's best for us. That's not the, the kind of approach that God wants us to have in this life. If God had his way in our lives, we would rejoice always. If God had his way in our life, we'd be full of hope and joy and peace. And so Peter, he writes this letter to this group of people that are really going through a stressful time. They are really, really struggling. And their circumstances are such that there's not a whole lot of hope in their circumstances. But Peter, and he writes to them and encourages them that there is a reason to hope. And so today I want to give you some, some insights that hopefully will help me, and I pray they help you, to live more hopeful. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that, you have, na- that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May we be reminded today that we can rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that as we gather around it, Lord, you will open up our hearts that we might receive it it in the right way. And Lord, that you will make our lives moldable so that we can be conformed to the image, Lord, that you would have for us. Lord, I pray you'll use me. I am a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm no better than any person in this room or any person that's watching online. And uh, Lord, I'm just a, a, I'm a clay pot. And so I just pray in some way, Lord, that you'll use me today. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for the people in this room, your church family. Pray for those that are watching online. Several people sick, struggling, can't be here. Pray for them. Pray for our city, our county, our state, our country, and this world. And take a moment, pray for yourself. Pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter starts off by encouraging these people who have really, they're really in a tough spot. He's encouraging them, bless God. Bless God. Now, um, life life has a way of putting us in situations where uh, we don't really want to bless God. We'd rather curse God. You remember Job in the Old Testament? Job, in one day, he lost everything. He lost uh, his possessions. He lost his livelihood. He lost his kids. The only thing that the devil let him keep was his wife, and she was not much help. She came to Job, and she said, she gave Job this advice. She said, this is what you ought to do. Given your circumstances, you should curse God and die. Uh, the, the people that Peter is writing to, uh, they can relate to Job. Because in a short period of time, they lost a lot of things that were very important to them. They, uh, they were forced from their homeland. They lost their homes, their livelihood. Uh, many of them lost friends and family. And so they're in a situation right now where it's not very easy. It's not really easy to bless God. And I think we all end up in these situations sometimes where you're tempted to curse God. But Peter says the best thing that you can do and the most reasonable thing you can do, even in the midst of your trials and your tribulations, is to bless the Lord to praise 
the Lord. And you say, well, how can I? You know, how can I? Because I'm homeless. You know, these people, they came in. They ripped my homeland away from me. They took away from my livelihood. Uh, They killed my friends and family. How can I bless God? How can I praise God? Because I feel like God has let me down. Peter says that every Christian has been born again into a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, before you are a Christian, you are without hope in this world. That's what the Bible says. If you are without God, you are without hope. But because you are in Christ, you have entered into, by his grace, by his mercy, you have entered into a new way of living in which you have reason to hope no matter what. And so as you sit in this chair, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your past, no matter what your present, no matter what anybody says or thinks about you, no matter what you believe about yourself, you have access to a hope that can't be killed. Why? Because your future is secure. Peter says that our destiny is not in doubt, and we should lean, especially in those moments of trials and tribulations, we should lean into the fact that our destiny is not in doubt. And this is one of the reasons that we can know our destiny is not in doubt, is because our destiny Our future is secure according to the grace and the mercy of God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. You see, our hope for the future is contingent on God's great mercy. It's not contingent on your ability or your deservedness. This is not a conditional hope, a hope for all the good boys and girls that keep their nose clean, all the people that got their lives figured out and everything is just perfectly situated. It's not a hope for people that can help themselves. It is an unconditional hope for all the sinners in the world who go to God and put their lives into the hands of a very merciful God. It is a hope for a person like a tax collector. Jesus told the story of a tax collector and tax collectors were the worst of the worst. This man had made the worst decisions, the most terrible and selfish decisions you could imagine. Most of his friends and family had turned their backs on him. He was an outcast. They made fun of him. They rejected him. They did all sorts of terrible things to him. And finally, he came to his senses and he realized that his life was on the wrong track and he stumbled into the temple one day. He fell on his knees and he covered his face and he said, Father, Have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a hope for people who put their hands, put their lives in the hands of a merciful God. Our hope is not contingent on us deserving it. Our hope is based on God's mercy. And this hope, our future is not in doubt because our future hope is dependent. It is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, as Christians, you don't have hope in hope. Uh, This isn't a pie in the sky. Let's do some wishful thinking. Let's do some positive. Please don't get on Facebook and ask people to send you positive vibes. You don't need any positive vibes. We don't have hope and hope. 
And we don't put our hope in the people of this world. Our hope is not that Elon Musk is going to get it figured out. I know he's smart, but that's not where our hope is. Our hope is definitely not in Bill Gates. It's not in Donald Trump or DeSantis or Biden. Our hope is not in Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or progressives or capitalists or socialists or anything else. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He was dead, and he is alive. They buried him, and he rose from the grave. And because the tomb is empty, this is what we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that death does not have the final say. Because the tomb is empty, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, in the end, good is more powerful than evil. In the end, light overcomes the darkness. And so our hope is secure. Our future is not in doubt. It's also kept beyond any threat. Look at verse 4 to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so God the Father has entered into a contract with every single believer, a covenant that is written in the blood of his son, that we who are adopted into his family will receive, will inherit his eternal blessings. And these blessings are, Peter says, they're imperishable. That means they're not going to decay. It's not like an old rickety house that someone leaves you in their will and you got to go in and fix it up and make it what you want it to be. And you got to maintain it in order for it to be any good or be worth anything. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's not corrupted in any way. It's not going to spoil like milk or a cake that somebody makes for you. It is unfading. It's not diminishing in any way. It's not like money that you put in the bank. If you keep it there long enough, inflation is going to make it where it's not valuable at all. It's not fading in any way. And so your future, in your future, this is what God guarantees you today. You have a resurrected body in your future. You have eternal life in your future. You have a seat at the victory banquet in your future. You will be in paradise. You will live in your father's house. You will move, the Bible says, from glory to glory. The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even imagine what God has in store for those who love him. And so this inheritance is one that can't be gambled away. It's one that thieves can't break in and steal. It's one that the government can't come in and confiscate. It's one that can't be lost in the couch cushions, even though the couch eats everything. It's beyond the reach of any threat because it's kept in heaven for you. It's also guarded by God's power. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so your destiny, your future is held in God's hands. And this is what God says to every threat. This is what he says to the trials and the tribulations. As he holds your future in his hands, he says, come and take it. This is what he says to all the evil enemies out there. Come and take it. This is what he says to all the demons in hell, come and take it. I got great news for you today, believer. They can't and they won't. They tried before and Christ put them to shame on a cross. They'll try one more time and he'll throw them in the lake of fire. Your future, your destiny is secure in every way. It's according to his great mercy, not you deserving it. You don't have to worry about, I'm going to undeserve this gift, this future that God has promised me. It's according to his great mercy. And it's based on a, on a historical event in the past that proves that God has a future for you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's safe in the highest heaven beyond the reach of any threat. And it is protected by the mightiest power. No one can snatch you from the Lord's hands. 
And so what should you do with this kind of information? Peter says, live by faith until salvation is revealed. Live as if your future is secure from now until God fulfills every single promise. Here's my question for you today. What would be different about your life if you truly, truly were convinced that in Christ, your future hope is secure and there is absolutely nothing that can change that? What would be different about your life? Verse 6, in this you rejoice. I think you'd have more joy. I think you'd be less stressed. I think you would get less angry when things don't go your way. Because although the trials are real, Peter goes on, he says, rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Yeah, the problems are real. It doesn't do us any good to come in here and say, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It hurts. And the problems are various. He says you're, you're grieved by various trials. They're grievous trials. They're various trials. You got a lot of problems, and they really do hurt. But this is what Peter's saying. They're temporary. The problem and the pain isn't going to last forever. I need somebody to hear me say this today and believe it. It's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. The Bible says sorrow may come for the night. And so this is what God is giving permission for sorrow to come and have a slumber party at your house. But it's got to sleep on the floor because first thing in the morning, it's got to go. Why? Because joy comes in the morning. There's joy in your future. There's victory in your future. There's peace in your future. There's blessings in your future. It's not always going to be like this. The trials, the tribulation, the pain, the problems, they're temporary. And you say, well, why does God allow sorrow to even come for the night? That's too long for me. I don't want to have any pain. I don't want to have any suffering because they're necessary. So Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Sometimes it's necessary. God isn't allowing your pain. He isn't allowing your problems for no good reason. It's not arbitrary. It's not meaningless. Jesus predicted his death many times. And his friends, every time they objected, they said, no, 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 we can't allow this to happen. How did Jesus respond to him? Over and over and over again, he says, it is necessary that I suffer in order to fulfill God's plan for my life. It's necessary for me to suffer in order for you to be saved. In the same way that God wouldn't put Jesus Christ on the cross unless it was absolutely necessary, God will not allow you, his adopted child, to go through pain and experience problems unless it is absolutely necessary. So what's the point? It's hard to see sometimes, isn't it? What's the point of the pain? What's the point of the problems? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. When times get tough, uh, people, uh, well, this is what you'll see. Uh, let's say the stock market goes down or there's a plague somewhere or there's a natural disaster. Uh, if you listen to talk radio, you're going to hear a whole lot more commercials for ways to buy gold. Have you noticed this? Right? And so when times are tough, all throughout history, and people are looking for some level of security, they go out and they try and acquire gold because gold retains its value. Throughout time and space, throughout all circumstances, gold seems to maintain its value. 
And, and the more pure the gold, the more valuable it is. So you're looking for pure gold because that's going to give you the more, most security. That's the most valuable. Well, how do they purify the gold? This is what they do. They melt it down. And then as they melt it, it gets hotter and hotter. The impurities rise to the top. And then they, they, they sift off all the impurities. They discard it. And what's left is a brighter gold and a stronger gold. Okay, so this is what Peter's saying. He's saying as valuable as gold is and as good of an asset as gold is, especially in times of trouble, even more valuable is your faith. Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world? Who cares if you have all the gold in the world if you lose your soul? Gold may be valuable, but let me tell you something more valuable is your faith. It's the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And so when times are tough, Peter's saying, don't invest in gold. Don't try and get security from the things of this world. It can be destroyed. It can be lost. It can be stolen. It can be taken from you. You might gamble it away. It's not, it's not as secure as you think it is. Instead, invest in your faith. If you put your hope in the things of this world, you will be ashamed. But those who put their hope in, their, in Christ, they'll have peace no matter what. Peter says, you can rejoice even in suffering because your faith grows more valuable as it's purified through the pain. The trials and the tribulation, that's a refiner's fire in your life. The impurities will surface as the problems increase, as the pain increases. The the, the impurities in your life are going to surface, and God is going to sift those away, and he's going to discard those from your life. And what's going to be left is a faith that is stronger. What's going to be, be left is a testimony that's brighter. Your trials and your tribulations. It's building your faith for the next battle up ahead in your life. God knows what's ahead. He's preparing you for it. And it's also, uh, it is enhancing the, the ability that you have to bring praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you did not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter says, you love him, even though you've never seen him. You believe in him, even though you can't see him now. Why don't you go ahead and rejoice in him, even though you can't see him in your pains and your problems? Don't worry, worship. Praise him before the problem is solved. And if you can exhibit that kind of a faith, especially in your times of trials and tribulations, People won't understand it, and you won't really be able to explain it. It's inexpressible, but I'll tell you what. I'd rather be overwhelmed by God than overwhelmed by my problems. I would rather think less about how great my problems and think more about how great my Savior. That's what Peter's encouraging us to do. In these times of trials and tribulations, put your faith in Christ. It's going to give you an opportunity to bring glory to God. Verse, eight, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's, it is faith in the promised hope that will enable you to persevere. You got to have hope. One of the things you can't live without is hope. And if you got faith in this promised hope, then no matter what trials and tribulations come your way, you'll have the ability to navigate through it. It's the faith that keeps you going. Now, the Bible says, to the one who perseveres will receive the crown of life, the salvation of your souls. So here's the reality. This world 
can take your house, can take your car, can take your freedom, may take the country, may take your life, may take the life of your loved ones, but no one and nothing can touch your soul. No one and nothing can take away what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. No one and nothing can take away the inheritance that God has promised you by his blood. No one and nothing can take away your future hope, the destiny that God has planned for you. It's secure. And so keep the faith despite your troubles. Keep praying and believing and trusting and praising and obeying Jesus because in him your future is secure. In him your pain has a purpose and in him your faith makes a difference. Look at verse 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter encourages these suffering Christians to think back to consider the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament preachers. He asks them the question, were they used by God? Well, yeah, obviously they were used by God. Are they now blessed by God because of their faithful life? Of course, they're, they're probably honored even above the angels. Did they suffer? Yeah, they suffered in terrible ways. Some of them were uh, ostracized and ridiculed. Others were arrested and beaten. Many of them were killed. They suffered. But aren't you glad they didn't quit? What would have happened if the Elijahs of the world, the Elishas of the world, the Isaiahs of the world, the Jeremiahs of the world, every time that they had some sort of suffering, they just took tail and ran. They went and hid out in a cave and they never came out. What, what would be of your faith if not for these preachers in the New Testament who when their lives were put on the line and they're taken to the Colosseum and they say, you recant your faith in Jesus Christ or we're gonna feed you to these wild animals. What would have happened to your faith if time after time these New Testament preachers would have said, okay, I take it back, I don't believe in Jesus. What would happen to your faith? We wouldn't be here, right? And so here's the reality. In the next year, you're gonna face trials and tribulations. It comes for all of us. Jesus never promised a trouble-free life. Hear me, Christians. Jesus didn't say, you get baptized, you surrender your life to me, you follow me, and your roof will never leak, your, your tires will never go flat, you'll never gain weight, your blood pressure is going to be perfect, your kids are going to listen to you, your wife's always going to be attracted to you, your hair's never, never going to turn gray, everything's going to be great. Jesus never promised that. He said, you're going to have some trouble in this world. And when you have trouble, you're going to be tempted because we're all tempted. When you have trouble, you're going to be tempted to drift away from God. You're going to be tempted to not pray as much. You're going to be tempted to not read the Bible. You're going to be tempted to stop worshiping. You're going to be tempted to stop coming to church. You're going to be tempted to make your faith become less important to you. And if you do that, understand, that's not a decision that's only going to affect you. It's going to affect generations. Because as your faith becomes less important to you, it will become less important to your children. 
and it will become non-existent to your grandchildren. But there are some of you in this room that when you face trials and tribulations in this year to come, you're not going to drift away from God. You're going to draw nearer to God. And when the trials and tribulations come, you're going to be tempted to not raise your hands in worship, but you're going to say, he deserves my praise even though I'm in pain. And so you're going to raise your hands in worship, and you're going to hit your knees, and you're going to pray harder than you've ever prayed. And you're going to open the Bible, and you're going to say, God, speak to me. And your kids are going to see it. And they're going to say, it matters. Faith matters. And you're going to leave a legacy of faith to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, and you're going to serve as a bridge of faith from Jesus to the New Testament prophets and preachers all the way through the generations, and you're going to serve as a bridge to your great-great-great-great-grandkids, and they're going to come up to you in heaven, and they're going to say, thank you so much that when it got hard, you didn't quit. And then, then you'll say, It was worth it. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and that your mercy is great. I need great mercy. And thank you, Lord, that you've caused us to be born again because my old way of doing things wasn't working. So thank you. Thank you that you lived and you died and you rose again to secure for us a future that is not in doubt. Thank you, Lord, that our inheritance is beyond the grasp of any threat. And thank you that you're guarding us for the day of salvation. Against all the schemes of the enemy, we're in your hands. Our future is in your hands. Thank you. And so, Lord, I pray today that you empower each and every one of us to live a life of hope despite the circumstances, despite the problems, despite the pain, to rejoice in you because you're worthy, because our future is not in doubt, because our pain has a purpose, and because our faith matters. It makes a difference. Lord, I pray that you'll bless every person in this room that's hurting, and I know I know some of them, and I hurt for them. Help them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here today, you're carrying any burdens, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I'll give you rest. There's something about just laying your burdens down at the feet of the cross that makes a difference. It does. If you're here today and and you're far from the Lord, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are without hope in this world. All the promises that I've talked about for the last 30 minutes, they do not apply to you. Until you put your faith, until you put your life in the hands of God, until you surrender control of your life to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, you're on your own. Your future is not secure. Your your pain has absolutely no meaning. It's meaningless pain. And your life ultimately will not matter. And so if you're here today and you're far from the Lord, he's calling you. He says, my mercy is great. My power to save is great. My love for you is great. So come. If that's you today, please come talk to me as we sing this song.